For the rest of the hour you have no responsibilities, aside from staying with the breath. And the breath is something that is going to happen on its own. So even the breath is not that heavy a burden, it's just keeping the mind with the breath. It's easy to focus on the breath, but it's not easy to stay there. So that's where the effort is, to keep the mind with the breath. If you notice that it's wandered off, bring it back. Wanders off again, bring it back again. Wanders off ten times, a hundred times, bring it back ten times, a hundred times. Be true to your determination. And learn how to make it not a burden, but something you actually enjoy doing. This is why we work with the breath, adjusting the breath so that it's comfortable. You can start out with a couple good long, deep in and out breaths and see how that feels. If it feels comfortable, stick with it. If not, you can change. Make the breathing shorter, or you can learn how to relax into the longer breath. Find out which parts of the body seem to be fighting the longer breath and allow them to relax. Try in long and out short, in short, out long, in short, out short, deep, shallow, heavy or light, fast or slow. All kinds of ways of adjusting the breath. Because there's really a lot more here than you might imagine. The breath doesn't just come in and out. There, there's a quality to what's coming in, a quality to what's going out that affects the energy level or the flow of energy through the whole body. And so you want to be sensitive to that. To be sensitive requires that you stay here for a while and just watch. Nudge the breath here a little bit, nudge the breath there a little bit, and see what happens. As you get more and more familiar with the breath, you begin to see there's a lot of potential here in the present moment. There's a lot to get to know here. And the breath has a lot to offer, because the way you breathe has an enormous impact on the body, and it has a large impact on the mind as well. There are ways of breathing that can cause illness, there are ways of breathing that can cure illness. There are ways of breathing that can aggravate emotions like anger or fear, and there are ways of breathing that can calm them down. So you've got this potential right here. Learn to make the most of it. It's a potential that, for the most part, we tend to overlook. But if you spend time with the breath, watching the breath, adjusting the breath, learning from the breath, You get sensitive not only to the breath, but also to the mind, what the mind is doing in the present moment. And you begin to get sensitive to the ways that the mind cause, causes unnecessary stress, suffering for itself. And this is the big irony in our lives. We all want happiness. And yet we cause ourselves a lot of stress and suffering. This is what the Buddhist teachings and the Four Noble Truths are all about the stress and suffering we cause through our craving, through our ignorance. We love ourselves, we want happiness, and yet we cause ourselves suffering. It's because we're not watching, because we're not attentive. This is one of the reasons why we want to settle down in the present moment, so we can actually see what's going on, see the subtle ways in which we're causing unnecessary stress and suffering for ourselves and for the people around us. 
and to see that we don't have to do it that way. We can see through to another way of acting. So this requires both stillness, so you can keep your gaze steady here in the present moment, and then asking the right questions. Where is the stress here? What am I doing that's causing it? Can I do things in a different way that doesn't cause that stress and suffering? This way the meditation involves both tranquility, getting the mind calm, and insight, beginning to see what you're doing and the results of what you're doing, and realizing that you can change. So focus on getting acquainted here. You'd think that what we do is something that we would see very clearly, but it's not. We tend to hide it from ourselves. Sometimes our intentions are good, sometimes they're a little bit less than good, less than honorable. And we don't like to admit that to ourselves, and so we've gotten used to covering things up. But what that means is that it creates a big blank space, a big blind spot in our minds, in our awareness of the present moment. This is one of the reasons why we don't like to stay in the present moment, because our intentions are happening right here, and yet we've gotten used to avoiding them. Even when there's nothing really especially wrong with the intentions, but we've just learned to cover them up. So as we're bringing the mind back to the breath, don't be surprised if it does bounce off. But the trick to getting it to stay is, as I said, learning how to make it comfortable, letting that sense of comfort and ease suffuse throughout the body. You can focus on the breath at any one point in the body where it's easy to stay focused. It can be the tip of the nose, middle of the chest, and through any place where you can sense this, the process of breathing. And you can keep your focus comfortable, and you can keep that spot of the body comfortable as you breathe in, breathe out. If you notice that the rhythm of breathing is making it tight or tense or unpleasant there, you can change. And then once the energy at that spot feels good, then think of that energy suffusing throughout the body. It's going to be a calm energy, a soothing energy. And this is what enables you to settle down and feel more and more at home in the present moment. And the more settled you are, the more clearly you can see what you're doing. We spend so much of our lives looking at other people. That people, person did this, this person did that, I like that person, I don't like this person. Blaming our suffering on this person or that. And yet the real suffering that goes deep into the heart is our own lack of skill in dealing with the present moment, dealing with the thoughts in our minds, dealing with our opportunities to act and speak and think. So we've got to learn to redirect our gaze, bring it in here, and then watch here continually. And then I keep asking yourself, is there any unnecessary stress or suffering here? And as you get more and more sensitive, you begin to sense things that you didn't notice before. Things that used to be in the background, kind of like the hum of a refrigerator that you didn't notice until all of a sudden it stops. And you begin to realize what had been disturbing you in the background that you hadn't noticed. But now suddenly you see it, and you can learn to stop it. And as you're not burdening your own mind so much, that means you have more strength, not only for your own activities, but also to help the people around you. Some people think that meditation is a selfish exercise, going out and straightening out your own mind. What about the rest of the world? 
Well, if you're not causing yourself unnecessary suffering, if you're not burdening yourself, you have more strength to help other people. It's like people carrying a burden around. If they're already burdened, they can't help pick up the burdens of other people. If they learn how to put down their own burden, they find they have the strength to help. So not only do you benefit from the practice, the people around you benefit as well. So you've got the whole hour to get acquainted here. And when the hour is done, you've got the whole rest of the evening. When you wake up in the morning, you've got the whole day. Even when you're doing other things, the breath is always there. You can get to notice. Train yourself to be attentive to how the general breath energy in the body feels. When you're working and doing other things, it may be too much to ask you to focus on the inness and outness of the breath. But you can focus on the quality. How does the breath energy in the body feel? Where is it tense? Where is it blocked? And even while you're doing other things, you can relax the tension. You can open up the blockages. It's an important skill. And in this way, you get centered all day. And you get sensitive to what you're doing all day. And that's what's important. Because you can take the skills from the meditation and you can apply them at any time in any situation. At the same time, you also feel at home at any time and in any situation. Even when things outside are difficult, you've always got your breath. Keep that as your foundation, and you find you can live with just about anything. And that's only one of the many benefits that come from the meditation. The more you give yourself to the meditation, the better the results. It's one of those few things in life that you can't get too much of. Mindfulness, alertness, concentration, discernment, all these things. The more you have them, the better. Okay, focus your attention on the breath. As far as you can, you're concerned, there doesn't have to be anything else right now. Just the sensation of the breath coming in, going out. And as for your other concerns, you can put them aside. Give the mind some space just to be with itself right here. And to be with something friendly and comforting, which is the breath. After all, the breath is what keeps the body and the mind together. It's what keeps you alive. So be on good terms with the breath. Sometimes when we focus on a meditation object and it seems difficult, after all, it seems to become an enemy. And try not to let that attitude get in the way. After all, the breath is here to help you. And meditating is learning how to make use of what it has to offer. It can provide a home for the mind, a good, comfortable place to stay in the present moment. It can provide food for the mind, a good, energizing presence in the present moment. Food, clothing, shelter, medicine, the breath can provide all these things for the mind, if you get to know it well. That's the problem, is we live with the breath and yet we don't know the breath. And as a result, we don't get as much use out of the breath as we could. 
or whatever other chatter may be going on in the mind. You don't have to pay any attention to it. Just be with the sensation of the breath and allow that sensation to be comfortable. Comfortable coming in, comfortable going out, comfortably between the going in and going out. Think of the breath coming in and out the whole body. Cleaning out any cobwebs that may be in the present moment. After all, you're going to move in here as your home. There's probably a cleaning up job that has to be done. Well, allow the breath to fill the whole body coming in, whole body coming out. Any tension or tightness that seems to get in the way, just allow it to relax, allow it to dissolve away. And with each breath as it comes, just try to get to know it. Because each breath as it comes will come differently. There'll be a slight variation if you've been breathing in a tense way and then start breathing in a comfortable way. The first few comfortable breaths will feel one way, and then after a while the needs of the body will change. So try to be in touch with that. Stay firmly with this physical sensation of the breathing coming in and going out right now. There will be thoughts in the background. That's normal. But you don't have to pay any attention to them. You don't have to give them any reality. don't have to give them any importance. Think of the importance of the breath instead. After all, it's the force of life. The more comfortable this force is, the better it's going to be both for the body and for the mind. If you didn't have any breath, all your thoughts would be meaningless. Plans for the future, memories of the past, there'd be nothing there. So try to hold on to the breath for the hour. Have a strong sense that this is the most important thing you can do right now. Straightening out the way the mind relates to the body in the present moment. If this doesn't get straightened out, then it doesn't matter how much you straighten out other things. There'll still be the sense of dis-ease, a sense of having no place to settle down. You can build a wonderful house. You can have a wonderful family. But if inside things are not at peace, things are not in harmony, then that wonderful house, the wonderful family, doesn't mean very much. They can't reach in inside and, so and solve these problems. The problems have to be solved from within, as the mind relates to the breath coming in going out right here. That's how you resolve the problems, from the inside going out. So no matter, no matter what other thoughts may come into the mind right now, you don't have to pay them any attention. Don't give them any importance, as I said. Make the breath your top priority. You need to know this energy here in the present moment and what it can be used for. Notice how the breath affects the body. What does long breathing do to the body? Well, try it for a while and see. What does short breathing do to the body? Try that too. Or in long and out short, in short, out long, deep, shallow, heavy, light. You can experiment with these things. See both how they affect the body and how they affect the mind. And then when you've found a rhythm and a depth and a texture of breath that you like, just stay with it. If you don't like it anymore, you can change. 
There's total freedom right here. This is one way of showing real goodwill for yourself right here in the present moment. That chant we had just now, may I be happy. Well, this is what you do to become happy. The Buddha once said, the beginning of wisdom is when you ask the question, what when I do it will lead to my long-term welfare and happiness? And this is one of those things that leads to long-term welfare and happiness. After all, life involves so much effort. Wisdom lies in learning how to use that effort to get the best results. It's like knowing where to invest your money. You invest it with a fly-by-night organization, well, it's going to fly away at night with your money. If you invest with something solid and reliable, okay, then you'll have good long-term benefits. It's the same with the breath. The breath is always going to be here. As long as you're alive, there's going to be the breath coming in going out. So it's wise to invest right here. Think of the pleasures of last year, the pleasures of the year before. Where are they now? Think of your thoughts last year. How much, how many of those thoughts actually came to any reality, had any effect, any good effect on your life? Very few. But the breath, which is here last year, it's here right now. If you'd spent time with the breath last year, you'd be benefiting right now, having greater sense of familiarity. So when you're thinking about long-term happiness on into the future, a good place to invest is right here, right now. Because this doesn't fly away anywhere. It stays right here. So as you're staying with the breath, try to develop a sense of the importance of the breath. That helps motivate you to look into the breath and start learning more about it. Once you start learning more about it, you find that it's really fascinating. There are all kinds of things that can happen with the way the breath energy flows in the body. And the more you see it, the more you want to explore. So for the rest of the hour, you've got a whole hour here to explore this part of your awareness, which normally gets closed off, normally gets shut off, normally gets pushed into the background. And as a result, the thing that's closest to you is oftentimes the thing that's least familiar. Now is a chance to develop some familiarity, get on good terms with this territory of the present moment. Once you're on good terms with the present moment, then wherever you are, you're on good terms. Because the present moment is all there is. When you focus on the breath, you're laying a foundation. And you want that foundation to be solid. And you realize the importance of what you're going to be placing on the foundation. So however long it takes to make the foundation solid, you're willing to give time to it. That's the attitude that gets results in the meditation. Otherwise, we're running up ladders that aren't leaning against anything, that aren't really firmly based. And when you run up a ladder like that, you fall down. So one of the important qualities we, qualities we have to learn in the practice is patience. 
and also a sense of loyalty to our meditation. You focus on the breath and you make that your home. You stay there. You don't go flitting off after other things, no matter how important they may see, seem or insightful they may seem for the time being. This is your job, just being right here with the breath, getting to know this area of your awareness. Often it's something we overlook. We do a little concentration practice and then want to go straight to insight, because after all, that's where all the, the flashing lights are, all the really neat things we're going to learn about ourselves and all the problems we're going to solve. But you have to remember, the breath and the awareness that gets stable with the breath, those are the means for solving the problems. If you drop them, you've dropped the means. Then you just go back to your ordinary mode of analysis, thinking this, thinking that. And the type of insight that's going to make a real difference in the mind has to come from a good, solidly based mind. So this is where you want to stay. And the insights that come as you're working with the breath itself may not seem much, but they build up over time. And it's only as the concentration develops that it can give bigger insights, deeper insights. It's like having a goose that lays golden eggs. You start out and it lays these little tiny golden eggs because it's only a tiny little goose. And you get impatient and you kill the goose to find out where that gold is coming from. And that's the end of the gold. So even though it may seem like just little tiny pellets of gold there, you can do a lot with little pellets of gold over time. And that's precisely the kind of insight you need right now. This process of staying with the breath interferes with a lot of different defilements. And simply getting over those defilements to stay with the breath gives you a lot of insight right there. It may seem very particular. This particular defilement has to be treated that way. That one has to be treated this way. Simply the skill of fending them off, sidestepping avoiding problems when you can. It's not cutting the defilements off at the root, but it's trimming them back. And it's giving you practice. In taking on these parts of the mind that seem to have a will of their own, they're going to go off someplace else. So have an appreciation for that concentration, as we chanted just now, those with respect for concentration. Stay right here. Get to know right here. Don't look down on the simple process of staying with the breath, because it can do an awful lot. And even though it may seem like you're just sitting here having fun with the breath, what's wrong with that? That's how great guitarists come. They go and they just fool around with the guitar for a while. And in the beginning, the music that comes out of the guitar may not seem much, but they're getting more and more used to it, and they're developing a real close relationship to the guitar. And it's that closeness of the relationship. That's what's going to make good music come out someday. So you want to develop a good, close relationship with your breath. Learn to appreciate the breath. As a John Lee once said, our problem is that we see high dharma as low and low dharma as high. 
I mean, the ability to bring the mind the breath and keep it with the breath. And that's considered a, it's called a superior human attainment. When you really get absorbed in the breath, it brings the mind to a heightened level. And that's an important ability. That's an important skill. And as for all the great insights we're going to get someday, a lot of times when we think about them beforehand, it's just ordinary old thinking, which even though it may be thinking about big matters, is, comes down to something a lot less. So what you've got here is the foundation, or you can look think of it as tools, the tools you're going to need. John Fuhr once said, the basis of all we're going to be doing requires skill with a breath. So the time you spent with the breath is not wasted time. You're not here, just here fooling around while more important issues come, or have to be worked on. The issues that come up for you to sidestep while you're staying with the breath, the ability to sidestep them is an important skill. Because you'll find as you start dealing with other issues, as the breath gets more solid, and you can take on some of the other issues that come up in the mind, that there come periods when you've done all you can with the issue for that particular period of time, and it, you're, you've been hacking away at it, and your life is getting dull, and you've just got to drop it and come back to the breath. Or some lines of analysis, instead of really helping you, actually can be harmful. And you have to learn how to recognize that, and then again and again, drop it. And the ability to drop things, return to the breath, is an important skill. Because in those times, some of those insights are going to be, seem really intriguing, really amazing. And it takes good powers of concentration to say, no, this is not the time or the place for that. And you come back to the breath. Now, there will be times as you meditate that you can't stay with the breath. That's when you pull out other meditation topics. There are long lists of them. You can think about the you can think about death as a topic. Mindfulness of death is useful when you're getting lazy. Contemplation, the body is good for all kinds of things. Cutting away lust. When you're angry at somebody, you can just think about them, just their different body parts, and say, well, what's there? What is there to get angry at? When you're feeling discouraged, you can think about the members of the Sangha in the past, the noble Sangha, who came from all kinds of backgrounds, had all kinds of problems, but were able to overcome their problems using the same kind of strengths that you have right now, simply through their determination to stick with the path. Even when things got tough. They're human beings, you're a human being. You can do the work, just like they did. These are ways of thinking that are useful when you can't settle down with the breath, when you find that there is some problem that's just really blocking the way. And you learn to think these things, think on these topics until the mind is ready to be with the breath. Then you drop them, come back to the breath, because the breath is your main foundation, the breath is your main tool. The stability that comes from the breath is going to be something you learn to take more and more as a refuge.
So when you find you can stay with the breath, stay there. Keep working with it, because there's a lot to learn. Even if the breath itself doesn't show much, you find there's a lot to learn simply about the nature of the mind as it focuses on an object and as it learns how to stay with an object. How it learns how to fend off boredom, how it learns how to fend off monkey mind. So it doesn't identify with the defilements that will pull it away, even the ones that come and seem to be teaching Dharma lessons but actually destroy your concentration. This is the area you want to develop as much as possible. And until this is really solid, this is where you want to focus all your efforts. There's other topics of meditation are useful, as I said, when you can't get to the breath. But once you're here with the breath, you can drop them. You really get on familiar terms with the breath. Remember, the breath is your friend. It's been keeping you alive all this time. It's because of the breath energy in the body that you can move it, that you can do things with the body. So it only makes sense to get on really good friendly terms and hang out with the breath, really get to know it. Even though it may seem dumb sometimes, you're sitting here just being very still, still, still with the breath, still but alert. But you're not doing a lot of analysis. The mind isn't being clever. And it's going to start complaining that this is dumb. And you say, well, I don't care. This is where I'm going to stay right now. Then as you resist that temptation, you find you uncover a lot of hidden agendas behind it. This is how we get to know the hidden agendas of the mind, by simply resisting them. And they start showing their true colors. So have some respect for the breath. Stick with it as much as you can. Observe it. Spend time. As the Buddha said, this is how you get to know somebody, is you have to spend time with them and watch observant. So if you develop this kind of respectful friendship here, it's going to repay you many times over. And all the time that's spent with it is time not wasted. You may hear that you're not supposed to get stuck on concentration, they've got to hurry on to insight. Well, the Buddha never talked about that the dangers of concentration. He said it's the path, it's the heart of the path. Whenever he told the monks to go out meditating, he didn't say go out and do vipassana, he said go do jhana, go, be, go practice mental absorption, which is good solid concentration. And as you get the mind into good solid concentration, it's not just a matter of blacking things out. To get it there and to keep it there requires a certain kind of insight. And those are the insights that form the basis for the more subtle ones. So however long it takes, that's not the issue. It's You're just simply staying here right now. This breath, this breath, this breath right here. Notice this breath right here. 
and don't fall for any thoughts that come in to try to pull you away. Because those thoughts are never really going to be your friends. They pull you away and then they run away. But the breath is always here, and it's a friendship that's really worth cultivating. We watch the breath so that we can watch the mind. The breath is like a mirror for the mind. When you look at the way you breathe, you can get a good sense of what's going on in the mind. When you get really familiar with the breath, you can begin to detect things that are happening in the mind. When there's greed, when there's anger, when there's delusion. Does show up in the breath. And you find, though, that not only does the breath reflect the mind, but you can use the breath to have an effect on the mind as well. Say, when there is anger, you can consciously change the rhythm of your breathing, and that'll have an effect on the mind. So the principle of cause and effect goes both ways here. The mind has an effect on the breath, and the breath can have an effect on the mind. But to get the most use out of that principle, you have to be willing to spend a lot of time with the breath to get to know it, to explore how the whole process of breathing happens in the body. And there are times when you have to be gentle in the exploration. When you start surveying the body, you begin to notice the whole parts that seem to have disappeared. Your shoulder may be gone, it seems, or part of your back, placed down the hips. And our immediate reaction when we notice something like that is to barge right in and try to straighten things out. That's an area where you have to be very careful and be very observant. The hip hasn't gone anywhere, the shoulder hasn't gone anywhere. It's there. It's just that on a subconscious level, you've hooked it up in a strange way. And so you have to be very, very observant. Watch for a while to see exactly where are things hooked up, and where might you suggest a few new ways of hooking things up. Because if you go in just barging into those parts of the body, they close up even more. It's like someone who's used to being abused, and then someone comes in to help them in an aggressive way. They, they just experience that as more abuse, so they close up. So the trick is being patient, watching, nudging a little here, nudging a little there, see what works, see what doesn't work. And bit by bit, as you get more familiar with the body, more familiar with the breath, things will begin to settle down, things will begin to connect up. So be willing to get to know this one thing very well. There's an old Russian proverb, I understand, that talks about two different kinds of knowledge. There's the knowledge of the fox and the knowledge of the hedgehog. The fox knows a lot of things, but very superficially. The hedgehog knows only one thing, but it knows it through and through.
And so what we're working on here as we meditate is hedgehog knowledge. You really want to know the breath. Once you've got the breath, then you've got a really good position for observing the mind. And even in the course of exploring the breath, you learn about a lot about the mind as well. You get a sense of how the mind focuses on things. Exactly what is awareness? How many layers are there? There's the focal point of awareness, and then there's that background awareness. Fills the whole body. It's there already. It's simply a matter of getting in touch with it. Learning to live there with the background. And keep our awareness of that background open as much as we can. Because all too commonly, when we focus on one thing, we try to close off as many other things as possible just to have that focus. And that puts huge areas of our awareness in, in the shadows. And sometimes that's necessary, and sometimes it's not. But to unlearn the habit, we have to be very persistent in trying to keep this once you get a sense of the whole body, try to keep that as open as much as you can. That's where the, the skill comes in. It's not some sort of mystic spaciousness where you're getting in touch with Buddha nature or anything like that. It's simply your background awareness. It's there. And there's a question of being consciously in touch with it, being consciously open with it or not. And when you're more in touch with the background, then you begin to notice the, the point or the focus of the mind here, there, wherever it moves. And you're less likely to get knocked off by changes in the focal point. In other words, if your concentration is totally limited to one focal point, as soon as anything disturbs it at all, you're gone. It's, you've lost the concentration. But if it encompasses that background, then even though there may be a little bit of wavering in your focal point, you've still got that background. Your foundation is still there. So stay here with the breathing. Be observant and be patient, because getting to know the breath, getting to know the mind are long-term processes. After we've lived so much of our lives in ignorance of our own mind, in ignorance of our own breath. So it's going to take a while to really get to know them. So each time you meditate, open your mind to the possibility you may learn something new. Because there's always something new here to notice, even though it seems to be familiar territory. There are lots of details to explore, and it's in focusing on the details, getting to know them, that you can learn a lot. This is a common theme throughout the teachings, simple things we do every day are the things you should st we should study, because everything we need to know is right in there. The whole question of intention and attention that the Buddha points out is lying at the basis of so much of our suffering. It's right here in our actions. What things do we attend to? How do we look at things? And then how do we make up our minds to do things? And we wake up, make up our minds to do things. What's the motivating factor? You dig down not too deep and you find that it's, it's a quest for happiness. We do things because we think we'll be happier by doing them. Psychologists have shown that people are amazingly ignorant about what's going to ha give them happiness and what's not. 
things they've done many, many times before, and they know it's not all that satisfying a happiness, but they still do them again and again. Partly because of the familiarity, they feel better doing something they're familiar with. And secondly, because they haven't really examined what they're doing, what the results are, and how it might be improved. We've talked many times about the Buddha's instructions to his son, Rahula, saying that before you do something, look at your intention and ask, is this something that's going to lead to happiness or not? Either for yourself or for other people. Or is it going to cause pain? If it's going to cause pain and suffering, don't do it. Act only on the intentions that aim at happiness and aim at well-being. And then while you're doing it, check the results, because some results come immediately. You stick your hand in a fire, you know immediately it's hot, you pull it out. So if you see that the, the action is having some unintended results that are actually causing suffering, and the happiness you hope for is not going to come, okay, then you drop the action, you stop. And then when you've done, if it turned out it was seemed okay while you were doing it, then when you're done, then you check the long-term results. What's interesting is the Buddha says at the end of this, when he says that this is how you reflect on your thoughts, on your words and your deeds. He says it's in acting this way that you purify your thoughts, words and deeds. We very rarely think of the question of purity as being tied up to the quest for happiness. But the Buddha says that's where you find purity, is really getting perceptive, getting intelligent about how you look for happiness, when you really observe how you're looking for happiness. So the quest for happiness is not a bad thing. I was talking yesterday to someone who had said after her academic career being trained as a psychologist, she never took the issue of happiness all that seriously. It seemed like something that would come or go pretty randomly. And she was amazed to discover that the Buddha had devoted a whole body of teaching just to that one issue, the quest for happiness. But when you come right down to it, what else is there? If we're not conscious about our quest for happiness, it goes underground, and then we don't know what we're doing. So the Buddha says, bring it up into the open. Even when you're breathing, notice that when you start focusing on the breath, there's a natural tendency to want the breath to be comfortable. Well, follow that tendency. Don't fight it. Don't push it underground. Look at your actions in every aspect, aspect, aspect of life and see where the happiness is that you're looking for and to see if it's actually being produced by what you do. And a lot of times our unskillful actions, the things that we repeat, not because they don't produce any happiness at all, but they give us a little bit, but we focus only on that little bit and we ignore the larger suffering we're causing. So we want to look to see both where the gratification is and where the drawbacks of those actions are. And once you really see that, see both sides, and then you can compare them. Are the, the drawbacks worth, are they worth it? Is the gratification worth it? Once you're clear and above board with yourself about both sides, then you can start looking for the way out, looking for the escape. The Buddha said that insight basically comes down to five things, seeing things arise, seeing them pass away. This is not just experiences arising and passing away, like watching things on a TV screen. It's decisions you make, intentions you have. They arise, they pass away. That's the really interesting arising and passing away. You see things arise, pass away, you see their gratification, you see their drawbacks, and then you see their escape. That's complete knowledge. That's the kind of knowledge we're working on here. Give the mind a good, solid basis so it can watch things come and go. 
watch its intentions come and go. When it decides to act, see what happens as the action is taking place, and then when the action is done, does it totally go or does it leave a trace? What gratification do you get out of the action? What are the drawbacks of the action? When you compare the, the gratification to the drawbacks, what kind of balance do you get? And if it's not worth it, what are you going to do to gain release from it? In other words, if it's an action that's really not all that helpful, if the gratification isn't worth it, what are you going to do to stop? What other things are you going to do in its place to find happiness instead? The Buddha doesn't tell us to give up our search for happiness. He tends to tell us to become more intelligent in how we do it, more observant. And what's amazing is through that process we ultimately purify our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. We purify our mind. Because where our big ignorance lies is right here in what we're doing to try to gain happiness and how it's falling short and how we don't admit it to ourselves, all these things. So look here. Bring the light of your awareness to this issue right here. By focusing on the breath, we put ourselves in the right place to watch. Because taking the breath as our foundation, it gives us a place where we can step outside our thought processes to watch them, as the Buddha says, as something separate. Not so much that we're doing these things, but these things are happening in the mind, and watch them and see what happens as a result. And because the breath is the point where the mind and the body meet, we're in the ideal position to watch mental actions and physical actions and verbal actions all at the same time, from this one standpoint. So there are lots of good reasons to stay with the breath. Keep reminding yourself of that. This gives rise to the quality that is called chanda. It's one of the bases for success in the meditation. But it also gives rise to understanding. Many times we focus on the breath, and after you're out of, after you've been at it for a while, you tend to forget why you're doing it. So keep reminding yourself you're here to put the mind in the right spot to understand itself. It gives you both the motivation you need to stick with the practice and the perspective you need to make sure that your practice stays on course. important part of staying with the breath is exploring what the breath has to offer. You read in a John Lee's teachings his various ways of describing the breath. And you get the impression that all the way up to his very last days he was finding new things about the breath, trying to put them into words. He talks not only about long breaths and short breaths or deep breaths and shallow breaths, he talks about full breaths, tough breath, energy in the body. The word neo in Thai is hard to translate into English. Something that's very resilient. And John Fuang used to talk about the breath energy being full in the body. You might want to explore what that means. Try pumping in a good long breath as you breathe in. Try to relax around the long breath. Think of the body having areas that you can just breathe in, breathe in, breathe in, and never get full. And then as soon as that, you reach a sense of fullness, 
you don't push the breath out to allow it to stay there. Of course, it'll come out on its own, but as soon as you catch it, a sense of it deflating, fill it back up. It's almost like keeping a tire full of air. This kind of breathing can be useful all kinds of things. When you're feeling tired, when pain gets really bad in the body, you can use a full breath energy to counteract the pain, to create a cushion around the pain, sort of energy an energy barrier around the pain, an energy barrier that around your, your tiredness. And it may not be a permanent solution to the problem, but it helps get you through a lot of things. Just one of the many ins and outs of the breath. Ways of using the breath energy that are good for, both for the body and for the mind. John Fuang said that when he was out in the forest, working with the breath was his main medicine. Of course, there's that story about a John Lee himself having what sounds like a heart attack after walking three days into the forest and knowing that he was going to have to walk out. So putting himself together by using breath. Method number two. In fact, he formulated breath number two in response to his heart attack, came out later and had it written down. So there's a lot to explore right here, right here inside us. And if you find that you get fascinated with the breath, that gives you a lot to, to deal with, a lot to keep you going. So that trying to stay in the present moment is not simply a chore, or not simply an act of will. Whenever there's a need for, for persistence, whenever there's a need for resilience or effort, the intelligent way is to make the effort as easy as possible. Not by being slack about it, but by finding ways of making it easier to really be persistent, really sticking with it. I say that one of the important things about practicing, say, for music or in sports, is watching to see where you're doing things inefficiently. Like when you're playing a scale, swimming a lap. Noticing where you're using energy in ways that you don't have to. Once you notice that, you can change the way you do things. Then the effort required gets less. You get the same results, but with less effort put into it. That's the intelligent way to be persistent. The intelligent way to exert yourself in the practice. You don't. You try not to exhaust yourself. You try to husband your strength as much as possible, while at the same time doing the full job, doing what needs to be done. Our problem is that when we throw ourselves into a task, oftentimes we we're not very efficient. We can do too much, waste a lot of energy, which is why our efforts can't be sustained. Just run out of fuel, because you weren't using your fuel properly. So when you're focused on the breath, notice what's needed to stay focused on the breath. Notice what's not needed. And let go of your excess baggage. It's like going out in the wilderness. You want to carry enough to keep you going, but you don't want to carry too much because that restricts your range. And that kind of knowledge requires experience, doing it again and again and again. 
You can be the kind of person who prepares for every eventuality, but that means you're not going to go very far. The other extreme is not caring anything at all, but then you find that you need this, you need that. And part of the skill, of course, lies in finding medicine along the way, finding things you will need to use or learn how to use along the way. But there are some things you need to take with you. And so as you're going out again and again and again, you get a better idea. If you pay attention, you get a better idea of what's needed, what's not. The same principle applies to the meditation. You can throw yourself a lot of effort into one hour and find yourself exhausted at the end. If you're not paying attention. Effort to be right effort requires that you pay attention to what you're doing. Notice which of your efforts are skillful and which ones are not, which ones are productive, which ones are counterproductive, and learning to make adjustments. This is why meditation is called practice. It's something you do again and again and again with the eye to seeing what you're doing that's inefficient, what you're doing that's creating unnecessary burdens on the mind, what you can do to make the task lighter. The breath energy in the body is full, you find it's, it's really resilient. You can sit longer periods of time. You can deal better with pain. It eases your burdens in, an off, in a lot of ways. So you might want to experiment with this issue of the fullness of your breath to see what this can do to help make the meditation go more easily. Because it's in the experimentation like this that you learn. If you don't experiment, you simply review a meditation as a, a technique or an exercise where you simply follow the instructions and wait for the candy to come out at the end. It doesn't work that way. You don't. You gain some things from the meditation, but you don't learn as much as you could by being observant, developing your sensitivity. Exploring the potentials that you have right here in the present moment. After all, they're free. It's one part of our experience that they're never going to be able to privatize. There's the breath element. There's the heat element. There's the water element or liquid in the body. There's the solidity in the body. There's your sense of space, your sense of consciousness. The texts, they talk about acquiring confidence in these things. In other words, learning to settle in and feel at home. And that confidence can come only through your own experimentation, your own powers of observation. When you try something out, monitor the results, that's when the knowledge is really yours. It's the difference between cooking simply following a recipe and then actually putting the recipe aside and learning to experiment so that dish becomes your dish. This is how the practice of concentration gives rise to insight. A lot of the insights are unexpected, but if they're all expected, what would be new? What would you learn in your practice? Focus your attention on your breath. When the breath 
goes in, know that it's going in. When the breath goes out, know that it's going out. You can focus anywhere in the body on any sensation that tells you, now the breath is coming in, now the breath is going out. If you wander away from that spot, bring it back. If you wander away again, bring it back again. This is called training the mind. It's like training a dog, training any kind of animal. It has its normal habits of just doing anything, running around. But an animal that hasn't been trained is difficult to live with. And it's the same with the mind. The mind hasn't been trained. It's difficult to live with, too, because it's here for a minute, and then it's gone someplace else. And if you want it to do any work, it doesn't want to. It's just All it does is wants to wander around. And so when you try to train it, it's going to resist in the beginning. But you have to be patient. The reason we're trying to train the mind is once the mind is trained, it stops creating so much suffering for itself. This is the big problem in life. We all want happiness, and yet we cause ourselves a lot of suffering. It's because we're not really observant about what we do and the results of what we do. So we're trying to train the mind to be more observant. And to be observant, you have to stay in one place for a while, to watch things as they come, as they go. So we begin with something really simple, the breath. Breath comes in, know it's coming in, goes out, know it's going out. Try to notice what kind of breathing feels comfortable. Because if the breathing is comfortable, it's easier to stay with it. Start out with a couple of good long, deep in and out breaths to see that how, how that feels. And if long breathing feels good, keep it up. If it doesn't feel good, you can change. Try shorter in-breaths or shorter out-breaths. Short in and short out. Deeper, more shallow, heavier, more light. There are lots of ways you can adjust the breathing. So try to get to know how the breathing feels and get a sense of what feels right for the body right now. When you're tense, you, you want a relaxing breath, which is usually in short and long out. If you're feeling tired, you want something that's more energizing, which would be long in and short out. But those are just general rules of thumb. You may want to experiment on your own to see precisely what the body needs right now. And this is an important skill just in and of itself, because the breath is free. Even though they're trying to privatize our water and privatize everything else, they're never going to privatize a breath. It's always going to be yours. It's always going to be free for you to work with. And when it can do so much for the body, it can help. Any kind of stress disease usually can be wiped away by working with the breath. And a lot of other pains and aches in the body, other diseases caused by a poor energy flow, you can work with the breath in such a way that you can alleviate a lot of those diseases. But even more importantly, you can give the mind a good place to stay in the present moment, where it can start watching things for what they are. Think about it for a minute. What's the past right now? What's the future right now? The past is only a memory. The future is only a guess.
the only things you can really watch as they're happening is what's happening in the present moment. When you stay with a breath, you've got the mind in the present moment because you can't watch a past breath. In fact, it's hard to remember a past breath. It's hard to anticipate what a future breath is going to be like. If you're watching the breath, you're right here, you're right now. And this forms a foundation. It also develops good qualities, mindfulness, the ability to keep your mind on one thing. Alertness, the ability to watch, see what's actually going on. These are important qualities in any endeavor, but particularly in that endeavor to see where the mind is causing itself suffering when it doesn't need to. You begin to see what you're doing, you begin to see the results of what you're doing. And this is important. Because the most important suffering in life, we tend to think, comes from things outside of us. Things other people do or things that just are part of the natural order of things. And as we chanted just now, aging, illness, and death, these are a necessary part of life. But if you look carefully, it's not so much that they cause you suffering, it's the fact that you latch on to things that are going to age, grow ill, and die. You latch on to your own body, you latch on to the lives and well-being of other people, and decide that your happiness is going to have to depend on those things, and then when those things fall apart, you suffer. But there's a skill where you can live with these things and not suffer from their change. That's the skill that comes from meditation. So even though the body ages, grows ill, and eventually dies, the mind doesn't have to suffer from those things. If it can learn to watch itself carefully to see where it's clinging and where how it can let go. But to do that, you need to be observant. You need to see things as they're happening. You can have it explained to you in the abstract. And you can decide whether you like the abstract idea, makes sense to you or not. But the abstraction doesn't make any difference. It's the actual seeing of what you're doing, the moments when you cling and cause suffering, when you see it happening, and see that you don't have to. That's when you let go. So we're taught patience, we're taught equanimity about things that we can't change, but we're taught not to be patient or equanimous about things we can change. And one of the things you can change is the way the mind reacts to things, the way the mind sees things, the things that it does. If it's doing things that are causing suffering, you don't want to tolerate that, because it becomes habitual. As for the good and bad, happy and unhappy, pleasant and unpleasant things that come in from outside, those are the things that you have to develop patience for. Because if they lie outside your control and you try to change them, you're just wasting valuable energy. That's where patience is appropriate. But if you're sitting here and your mind is wandering all over the place, you can't be patient with that. You have to try to understand what's going on. Why is it doing that? What can we do to bring the mind into a spot where it can be more useful and not cause suffering for yourself? not cause stress for yourself unnecessarily. This is why we meditate. And the breath is the means for which we develop all these qualities in the mind. If you stick with the breath, your mindfulness gets stronger. 
you observe the breath to see whether it's comfortable or not, your powers of alertness get stronger. When there is that sense of comfort, think of it spreading throughout the body. Like a dye that they inject into your body. They inject it into one spot and the blood carries it throughout the whole body. If you find a sense of comfort at any one spot in the breathing, if you're focusing on the breathing in the chest, focusing on the breathing around the nose, focusing on the breathing around the abdomen or the diaphragm, if you've got a rhythm of breathing that feels comfortable there, just think of it seeping throughout your whole body, the whole nervous system. Because the way you breathe does affect the flow of energy in the nerves. So allow all the tense spots in the body to relax. Just do a survey down the back, out the legs, and starting again at the back of the neck, going out the shoulders and down the arms, around the abdomen, around the chest. If you see any pattern of tension that's pulling your spine out of alignment, that's pulling your body out of, out of alignment, allow it to relax. And think of that part of the body as being involved in the breathing as well, until you've got the whole body involved. The whole body relaxes into the in-breath, the whole body relaxes with the out-breath. And the breathing finds a rhythm that feels good for the whole body. And when the whole body feels good like this, and the blood and the energy and the nerves flow properly, and the mind feels a lot more inclined to stay here. If you try to keep it with an uncomfortable breath, it's like imprisoning it. It's not going to want to stay. It's going to f try to find its escape as soon as it can. But if you keep it with a comfortable breath, even though you may be living in a house, it's a nice house to live in. Everything is very comfortable and you don't want to wander outside all that much because everything is really nice right here. So for most of us, the present moment is a strange place. We don't spend much time here. We often spend our time wandering around the thoughts of the future, memories of the past. And it doesn't seem to be very much going on right here in the present moment. And as a result, we, we're strangers to our own present. And yet this is where all the important decisions in life are being made. And this is where everything comes in life. This is where things happen when aging, illness, and death are eventually going to come into the present moment. And the question is, what will you do then? If you're latching on, if you're identifying yourself to things that are going to be affected by that aging, illness, and death, you're setting yourself up to suffer. So what you want to do is dig and dig down deep inside right here in the present moment and see maybe there's something in here that doesn't age, doesn't grow ill, doesn't die. And if you can find that, then when change comes to the body, it's not going to upset you. You see, that's just part of a natural course of things. But you've found something better. You've found your safe place. But to see that requires a lot of mindfulness and a lot of alertness. Which is why we have to develop these qualities, why we have to work at them. And that's what we're doing, simply by being with a breath. Noticing how the breath feels, that the mind wanders off, bring it back. Wanders off again, bring it back again. 
So even though this is a very simple exercise, it has lots of ramifications. It teaches us a lot about our bodies, teaches us a lot about our minds. At the same time that it trains the mind. So it's not all over the place, blindly causing suffering for itself and for other people. Because if you watch carefully what's going on in the present moment, you see your intentions, and your intentions are the big force that shapes your life. And you begin to get a better sense of which intentions are helpful and harmless, and which ones actually cause harm. And you realize you have the choice which kind of intentions to follow. And as you exercise that choice in a skillful way, you find your life goes better and better. And the mind, instead of causing a lot of inadvertent and unnecessary suffering, actually becomes a helpful mind, a mind you can begin to trust. But to be trustworthy like this, it, you have to develop your mindfulness, you have to develop your alertness so that you're always here as the mind is making choices. That way those choices are always skillful, always wise. So you've got the opportunity for the rest of the hour. No other responsibilities right now. Just be with your breath. Learn to be comfortable with the breath. Learn how to make the breath comfortable for the body. see the effect that the breathing has on different parts of the body, and then you can adjust it. It's something that's so close to us, it's been with us ever since we were born, and for many of us it's totally unknown territory, an undeveloped potential. Now you've got this hour here to develop this potential, something absolutely free and very beneficial when you get to know it. So as for your other responsibilities, what you're going to do after you leave here, put those aside for the time being. Focus on what you've got right here, right now. So you'll learn how to take advantage of this potential here. Once you really get to know the breath, you discover it has lots of secrets and lots of ways of helping you. It can soothe you when the mind and body feel wounded. It can energize you when you feel tired. It can give you a grounding when things around you are changing very fast. You've got something solid you can hold on to inside here. There's an awful lot that the breath can do for you, if you get to know it, if you explore it. Most people don't have this opportunity to just sit and explore their breathing for an hour. But here you've got that opportunity, so make the most of it.